following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I have probably heard over 2,000 sermons in my life. Honestly, it's probably a conservative number. Um, If you take in church services, chapels, conferences, uh, 2,000 at least, right? Here's my confession though. I don't remember all of them. Uh, My brain can only hold so much. In fact, the ones I do remember, some of them are the bad ones, the one I remember for the wrong (laughs) reasons. Um, But I don't remember them all. But I do believe this with all of my heart and everything in me, that they helped shape and form me in my walk with, with the Lord. They helped shape me. I believe God was quietly doing this work. And it wasn't that the about any preacher or how funny or charismatic or whatever they were. It was the slow and steady and consistent trickle of God's word in my life, shaping and and forming me um, through a bunch of um, forgettable sermons. And I love this, and I love the way God works. And and the reason I say this this morning is, listen, I'm not uh, behind a pulpit. You're not in a room gathered together with your church family. I know that. We know that. Um, But I believe and I know that this is the same word. And I believe and I know that we have the same ears. And I believe and I know and I I trust that God will do the same shaping through this time. And so to that end, I would just love to start our time in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, would you speak through your word this morning? Would you speak through me, the preacher of your word, this morning, and would you give us ears to hear? I pray that you do the work in us this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Um, Open with me to Romans 3. I've said this over the last couple weeks. We get to look at my favorite verse in all of Scripture, and I don't say this lightly either. Um, This verse, this this scripture God has used in my life to help me understand the gospel. Have you ever had one of those aha moments? Well, this is, for me, this scripture is one of those divine aha moments. So I'm I'm really excited to be able to look at this together um, this morning. So as we read this, it says this, Romans 3, 3, verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me just read the second part of this again. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This verse just unlocks it all. And so I want to talk for a minute, as we think about this, I want to talk for a minute about the idea of justice. Justice is, is the, the concern to do things right, to make things right. Uh, divine justice 
uh, embraces every aspect of the right ordering of human society according to the will of God, its creator. Justice is not partial. That is not justice. Justice is not halfway because halfway or partial justice is not justice. And that is not who our God is. Um, our God is just, and, and I believe we are created with this longing for justice. It's why when we see injustice in our world, we want to see things made right. It's in our heart to long for things to be made right and to see justification. But I believe it's more than that. It's not only that we were created with to long for justice, but God's word says that we are commanded to be people of justice. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We are created with a longing for justice, and we are commanded by our God to be a people of justice. Here's the problem, though. We don't measure up to it. We don't measure up to our own standards of justice that we long for. We don't measure up. See, we cry out for justice when we see the injustice of our world. We cry out for justice for them. Yet, if we are honest, as we look and examine our lives, we must cry out for grace for ourselves. We don't measure up to our own standards. If we were given what we deserved, we would be justly condemned. Hell would be our destination, and he would be absolutely just in giving us what we deserve. So we have a problem. We have justice, and we have grace. Justice and grace. I want us to think about this in, in as a courtroom. Uh, so, so I think that this is pretty easy for us to start to see when we think about this, even on human to human level here. I want us to imagine a courtroom. I want you to imagine a, a criminal stepping into a courtroom, a murderer, a criminal who is absolutely guilty of his crime. He is, in fact, a murderer. Stepping into the courtroom, guilty. The punishment for murder is death. It's life for life. That is what justice demands in the situation. And this criminal walks before the judge, stands before the judge. If that judge were to look down and say, I hereby sentence you to death, that judge would be absolutely just. In fact, if you're a citizen living in this community, that's exactly the kind of judge you hope and pray to have. One who is just, one who um, holds up the law, one who is, does what is right. I'll push it further. If you're the victim of the family, or if you're the family of the victim, sorry, and, and you 
see this verdict. Your heart cries out for justice. That's the kind of ruling that you want to see happen. That is justice, right? That is justice. He, he would, that he would be fair and just. Now, imagine if you will, though, same courtroom, same criminal, same judge, but instead of condemning the judge, um, uh, condemning the criminal, imagine, if you will, if the judge looked down at this criminal, guilty of murder, and says instead, you're free. You are free. There is no punishment. There is no death. Just go do your thing. Be free. Now, most likely, this criminal would be quite grateful quite grateful. And most likely this criminal would really be a fan of this judge, be overwhelmed with gratitude, brought to his knees for his life being spared, right? However, you can't call that judge just. If you're a a citizen living in this community, that's not what you want for your judge If you are the family of the victim, that is not what you want for your judge. Where is the justice? Where is is the justice in all of that? Can that judge still be just? Of course not. Of course not. Um, Church, we're in a similar predicament here. We're in a similar predicament here. Uh, Think for a moment of what we've talked about the last couple weeks. We've talked about the fact that we have all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've also talked about the fact that God's righteousness is perfect, never less than righteous, always perfectly just and righteous. We've also talked about the fact that God's standards don't change. He is perfectly just and righteous at all times, and we are judged according to his standards, not ours. Taking all of that in, we see the predicament. We see the predicament that we deserve death, that we deserve, we deserve judgment. We, as the criminal, standing before our judge, this is what we deserve. It's what we deserve. He would be just in condemning us. Yet, yet, as, as preachers of the gospel, as people of the word, we preach a gospel of grace. We preach a gospel of grace that says, come to God, your sins can be forgiven. There is life eternally. There is life abundantly. We preach a gospel of grace. And how is that just? How is that just? How could God be just in a gospel of grace? How could he be judged or just? Because church, just like we don't want an earthly judge to sweep sins under the rug, to just ignore them and throw out pardons, just like we don't want an earthly judge to do that, we do not, church, want a heavenly judge, our heavenly Father, our God, to do that either, to just sweep things under the rug. We don't want that. We don't want our God to look down and say, it's all good. 
all the sin, all the evil, all the abuse, all of the terrible things, the horrible things that are done. Yeah, let's forget it. It's all good. Where's the justice in that? If, if, if that were true about our God, although we might in some ways call him good for ignoring our sin, we could not call him just. And here's our predicament. And this is why I love this text that we are looking at this morning, because this text addresses and solves this predicament perfectly. I want to read it again. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Church, just take this in. It was to show the righteousness of God, the justice of our God, the perfect righteousness of God that is never less than perfect. It was to show that our God is righteous and our God is just. And and then listen, so that he might be just and the justifier. That he might be just, perfectly just, and the justifier. This is only possible in and through Jesus Christ. It is only possible through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ makes it possible for God to be both just and the justifier of his people at the same time. It is only Jesus who makes this possible. Because church, your pardon, for your pardon, there's no sweeping sin under the rug. There's no just sweeping sin under the rug. Your sin has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. And at the heart of the gospel is this, that your God is the just justifier through Jesus Christ alone. That is the heart of the gospel. Um, I want to read something uh, with you, and and it's a bit long, but I believe it articulates this really, really well. This is something from Dr. Jarvis Williams, uh, who is a New Testament professor at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, I love how he says this. Dr. Williams says this. Jesus died a violent substitutionary death to be a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of Jews and Gentiles. Again, this goes back to what we were saying last week, that because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is therefore now no distinction. So he says here, for the sins of Jews and Gentiles, he goes on to say, by this death, Jesus took upon himself God's righteousness or righteous judgment and wrath against the sins of those for whom he died. Church, take that in. He continues, he says, by dying as their penal substitute, Jesus paid the penalty for their sins. And he therefore both propitiated God's wrath against their sins. So we'll stop there. Propitiation, as we talked about last week, talks about God's change of attitude toward us, where he moves from being at enmity with us to being with us as our father, we his sons and daughters. Propitiation is removing the impediments 
to be in a relationship with our God, fellowship and favor with him. So he says, by dying as their penal substitute, Jesus paid the penalty for their sins, and he therefore both propitiated God's wrath against their sins and expiated their sins. Expiation has to do with removing, removing something or taking something away. In this case, it's taking away the guilt. So here's the way to think about this. He removes the guilt, expiation, and he brings us into relationship, propitiation. It's beautiful. And so in this, he says, he goes on to say, so that the sins of Jews and Gentiles would be forgiven. And so they would be justified by faith forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, participate in the future resurrection and saved from God's wrath. If we just take this and kind of walk this backwards, we are saved, reconciled, forgiven, justified, in and only in, through and only through the work of Jesus Christ as our substitute. That is it. He is perfectly just and the justifier because Christ is our substitute. Your debt was not swept under the rug. It was paid in full. That church is good news. And by the way, that's what the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament points to. That men and women, when they sin, it causes the death of an innocent animal. An innocent animal. That an animal would be the substitute. That the animal paid for the sin with its own blood instead of the man's blood. In the same way, church. In the same way, he is perfectly just and the justifier because Jesus Christ is our substitute. His blood was spilled instead of yours, in your place. If we return to the example that we began with of the courtroom, um, this is where it gets a little bit difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we don't have you know, this idea of substitution in our judicial system. Uh, But for a moment, I would like for us to just think through this and process this. Imagine with me that same courtroom. That same criminal stands before the judge, guilty as guilty can be, absolutely guilty, deserving of punishment and condemnation. Yet before the judge hands down the sentencing, the verdict, There is an innocent man who steps up, gets up, and who stands between the criminal and the judge. And in this moment, he says, because of my great love for this criminal, I offer myself as a substitute. The law says a life for a life. And so I offer my life. I take the punishment for the crime, put it all on me, and let him go free. Let him be free, clean, 
let him walk away. Let me be declared guilty so that he is not guilty. As the judgment is handed down, the verdict is guilty, life for life. The innocent man who stepped in between, who stood in the gap, took the guilt, took the shame, took the punishment, took it all for a crime that was not his. He was the substitute. And the criminal was released. The the criminal was expiated, meaning the guilt was removed, was taken away, and it was placed on the substitute. Now the criminal, or should we say the one formerly known as the criminal, is free. Free to walk out and not wear the weight of his guilt or punishment anymore. And I I don't want us to miss this, because what do we think about the judge in this situation? What do we think about the judge in this situation? Um, Because of the substitute, we see two things. One, we see justice. We see just, that his verdict was just. The, The sin was not just for just forgotten, swept under the rug, ignored. No, sin was dealt with completely. Life for life, the crime was not forgotten. Justice was given. It was just. And at the same time, we also see he justified. Justification. That meaning he sent the one formerly known as a criminal out, justified, declared innocent, the crime, the sin, no longer hovering over his head as he left the courtroom. No longer hover. It was taken by another. So through the substitute, the judge becomes the just justifier. Which brings us back to our text. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love this verse because it sums it up, the wonder and magnitude of the gospel. It sums it up. Yes, we could say more about the gospel. We could add more to this, but church, we cannot say less. This sums it up. Our God is the just justifier through Jesus Christ, our substitute. He is the just So what does this mean for us? Well, I I want us to return back to our example one last time. As you have probably put together, um, you you and I, we relate to the criminal in this example. That we stand before our judge guilty for all have sinned, fall short. The wages of sin is death. We stand before our judge guilty, deserving of judgment, deserving of it all. And an innocent man, Jesus Christ, steps forward, stands in the gap to offer himself as your sacrifice, as your substitute. This is Christ. And in this moment, how foolish would it be for us to to stop and say, no, 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 judge, judge. And for us to try to convince the judge that we are going, that we did a lot of good things, 
or that we were going to do a lot of good things. How foolish would it be for us to try in that moment to justify ourselves with our own works? How foolish. It's crazy because none of the works that we offer uh, could even get close to justifying ourselves. But it's exactly what we do. How foolish would it be for us to think, you know what? No, I don't need a substitute because that judge, he seems like a nice guy. I mean, surely he's not. I'm not as bad as that criminal or that criminal or that criminal. I'm not that bad. So surely I, surely he won't condemn me. How foolish is it? Yet each time, church, that we think, well, I just got to clean myself up before I come to my God. Each time that we think, you know, I'm fine without any help. I I can do it. This is exactly what we are doing. Exactly what we are doing. In this scene, you are the criminal. Guilty as charged. And the innocent man, Jesus Christ, steps forward, steps into the gap offers himself as your sacrifice, as your substitute. And as you are declared innocent, um, listen, there's a few things that flood our heart in this moment. One is brokenness and humility, to know that your sin is forgiven and, and that you are pardoned. Two, there is this gratitude and praise that we should feel knowing that Jesus Christ has conquered it all for us. There is, there is gratitude for the grace of salvation. But you know what? You know what your role is in all of this? You know what your role is? It, it, our verse says it at the very end. It says, to the one who has faith in Jesus. Who has faith in Jesus. Your role is faith. That is it. Your role is to say yes Your role is to say, yes, I trust in the one who is my substitute. Yes, I believe that he is my substitute. I'm not going to continue to try to earn it on my own. I'm I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust in anyone or anything else. I trust in him as my substitute. That is your role, and that is faith. That is all we have. That is it. You respond to the work of God through Jesus Christ on your behalf, and that is faith. See, our God is the just justifier for all of those who have faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is our substitute. So my plea for you this morning, my plea is that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins as your perfect substitute, that you would believe and trust in him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time, this moment. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are perfectly righteous. We know that we are sinners in need of your grace. And this morning, we are grateful that we have been reminded that you are the just justifier through the work of your son on the cross on our behalf as our substitute. So Lord, now in this moment, I pray that you would just bring that 
to bear on our hearts and our minds as we continue in our worship this morning.